Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. So what's your comeback story? And my name is Sean Moyers, the lead pastor here at Rocky, and I'm so glad that you joined us on our Easter celebration online. And, you know, I think there's people just right now, it's probably the different, most different Easter than we've ever experienced in our lifetime. I cannot remember an Easter. I know there's not been one in history except for the first Easter where we actually sat down and didn't, we weren't able to actually gather together on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. You know, that first Easter, that's what happened. You know, people were in homes, they were afraid of what's going to happen next. We're sitting in homes, and we may not be afraid of what's going to happen next, but we're pretty uncertain about what's happened next. And, and I think today it is, it is amazing how even in this situation, we are able to gather across the country. We had our Good Friday services the other day, and we had, over, we had almost 3,000 people in almost 40 different states across our country that joined us for that. And today, Easter Sunday, we get to come together today. And if you're brand new to us, here's what you need to know about Rocky Mountain Christian Church is we simply believe in comeback stories. We believe that there's a comeback story for every single one of us through Jesus Christ, just like Bobby's story. And I think there's a lot of us that we look at life and we're saying, man, I I don't know what's coming next. I'm pretty uncertain about things. Some of us, we look at our circumstances and we're just simply sitting there saying, I hope there's a comeback story available for me. And I think that's why you tuned in today. You know, you didn't get forced to come to this Easter service by anybody else. There was nobody saying, you can't come to Easter dinner after if you don't come to Easter services. Today, you tuned in probably because you wanted to gather with your family, probably because you wanted a little bit of hope, probably you wanted some encouragement this morning. And I think every single one of us, we believe or we're at least curious about this comeback story, the greatest comeback story of all time, the Easter story that says simply that you're never down, you're never out, that there's a comeback story available for you. You know, it's interesting, I'm a huge sports fan. If you've been around this place for very long, you know that I love sports of all kinds. and, And if you're a sports fan too, you're just like me, you live for the comeback. Man, I love watching a game and seeing the walk-off homer, the buzzer beater, the two-minute drill. I mean, you love those moments. They're exhilarating when you watch them. But here's the thing we all know. Comeback stories are fun to watch, but they're hard to come by as far as experiencing them. Now, we can watch them, but for every single one of us, like 99.99% of us that are watching today, we know that we will never be the one that steps up into the batter's box at the end of the game and hits the home run. Like it's the walk-off home run in a game of any significance like outside of our church league or our men's league, you know, in the community. We'll never be the one that steps up and does that. But I think every single one of us want to know. Here's what we want to know. We simply want to know that in life, that there is a comeback that's available for us just like Bobby's. Like in my life, if I dig a huge hole, like if I go too far, if I run down a road of addiction or difficulty or broken relationships or whatever that might be in our lives, we wanna simply know that there is a comeback in the cards for us. And that's why we gather today because we believe that the Easter story is the greatest comeback story of all time. And Jesus crucified on Friday, raised on Sunday, And he makes available through the gospel, the gospels continually tell us all throughout scripture that that same resurrection power is available for you and for me. First Peter chapter one, verse three, Peter writes, and Peter was a guy who followed Jesus through all of it. He saw the crucifixion, he saw the resurrection, he was with Jesus after, he was even reinstated 
as the leader after he had denied Jesus three times, he says this, he says, praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a couple words that are really important about what the resurrection means to us. Peter simply says to to us, he says, praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That idea in the Greek language, the New Testament is written in the Greek language. The idea is simply this, that he has given you a new reality. Like no matter what your reality is right now, no matter how far down on your luck you are, how, how big a hole you've dug in life, he says there is a new reality available for you in Jesus. And then he goes on and he says he has given us new birth into a living hope. We're not talking wishful thinking there. We are talking about the confident conviction. Like the confident belief that our future is going to be better than our present. And I think in the anxiety of what's going on right now with the virus and the stay-at-home orders and the economy and all the different things going on, there's many of us that are sitting and saying, man, I hope there's a better future. Well, with Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection, Peter says this, you don't have to have wishful thinking or just hopeful thinking. You can have a confident conviction that the future is going to be better than right now, that the best is yet to be. And then he goes on and says, into a living hope through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you ask Peter, Peter, how can I believe that? Peter would simply look at you and he'd say, well, when you're like me and you see a dead guy predict his, or a guy predict his death to die and be crucified like I saw him, to be placed in a grave and to see a stone rolled over that grave, and then for him to come back like he predicted on the third day, you tend to believe him. You see, these are stories simply of just a prediction. It's not a prediction, it's a truth. It is a truth that there is a comeback story available for you and me. There's a comeback in your relationships. There's a comeback in your spirituality. There's a comeback from anxiety to peace. There's a comeback in your reputation. There's a comeback from addiction. There is a comeback in every single way if you will simply look to Jesus. And here's a problem with that though. Like I I realize in my life there's been times and I realize that I've talked to so many people as a pastor and so many people say to me, they say, Sean, I get it, man. I get it. I believe that Jesus is the God of the comeback. But I just don't know if that comeback is available for me. I hear people talking about thoughts where they say, I, you know, I know God forgives, but, man, I've just dug so big a hole. I, I don't know if he could forgive me. Man, I, I know God forgives, but what happens when, when I can't even forgive myself? I know God forgives, and I know God blesses, but... But I don't think he actually blesses me until I'm actually as good as that person over there, until I get my life straight, until I clean a few things up in my life. I don't know if God will bless me until I'm as good as he wants me to be. Man, that was my story for years and years. I'll be honest, there was so much, I think, of the power of the resurrection and the power of the gospel story that I missed because I thought God's blessing was dependent upon my goodness. And the gospel story is a story that's not about good and bad. The gospel story's never been about that. We think all the, the gospel story is, is, is focused in on Jesus' sole purpose was to come into this world and he was to teach incredible sermons and he healed people and did all these miracles and all these things. That wasn't the purpose of the gospel. Those things are good things, but those good things point to one thing, that Jesus came into the world to help people experience life. His sole purpose was to go to the cross so he could die so that he could give you life. 
You see, the gospel story is not about being good enough. It's not even about good and bad. You see, if that's the case, if the gospel story is about good and bad, man, we would be in serious trouble. The book of Romans, Paul writes this in Romans 3.23. He says, for all has sinned. Every single one of us, not just a few, not just the really bad people, every single one of us, the best of the best, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the gospel story has never been about bad and good because if it was, that verse right there tells us every single one of us has fallen short of God's standard. Like we've missed the boat. You've missed it in your relationships. You've missed it in your integrity. Integrity. You've missed it in your relationships, in your parenting. I mean, we could go on and on and on in your purity in so many things. You see, here's what the gospel story is about. The gospel story wasn't about good or bad or making bad people good. The gospel story was about making dead people live. That's why Paul goes on to write, and he simply says this, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the resurrection is his story. That is exactly what Jesus came for. His sole purpose in teaching, his sole purpose in doing miracles and healing people was all to give credibility to one fact, that he was the person that could die to forgive our sins and to allow us to experience life in him. You see, the gospel story is simply this. There's no hole you could dig that would be deep enough. There's no path you could run that would be far enough away from God. God is simply saying to you that my story is about making dead people live. And God makes that available to you. The Easter is the greatest comeback story of all time and it allows us to realize that there is a comeback story available for us. And I want to show you simply in scripture, you know, I think a lot of us, we struggle to believe that. And that comeback story only happens when we understand and we see that that story is available for us and we actually reach out to it and we begin to believe it. And I want to show you today, just through one scripture in, store, in, uh, in the Bible, what I think is probably the greatest last second comeback story of all time. It's Luke chapter 23. And in Luke chapter 23, it's a story Jesus has already been tried He's already been convicted. He's been beaten and he's been taken out to the hill of Golgotha where he would be crucified. And, and he is being laid down on the cross and he's getting ready to be crucified with two other men, robbers, thieves that are on each side of him. And, and the story goes like this. In Luke chapter 23, starting verse 32, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said to him, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up to him and they mocked him. They offered wine and vinegar, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you go 700 years before, you see that the prophet Isaiah actually predicted this. In Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, he talks about the beating that Jesus endured. He talks about the crowds mocking him, the religious leaders standing there and sneering at him. And then it says this, it says that he was numbered with the transgressors. Simply speaking of Jesus being crucified with the two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. 
the book of Matthew calls them robbers. It's interesting, that word robbers in the Greek language, it, it's not just petty thieves, it's this idea. It is one who uses violence to rob openly. These guys were the kind of thieves that broke into homes, used violence, or stood in the countryside behind things and, and waited for people to come down the road and they attacked them with violence. And this kind of guy, these kind of robbers were the people who broke in and did things like murder and rape involved with robbery. These were the worst of the worst. And you want to talk about the chasm? The chasm between good and bad? It couldn't have gotten any wider with these guys. I mean, you're sitting here and you're looking at Jesus, and I think the interesting story, the interesting piece of this story is that God chose to put Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for us, the Son of God, the one who was without sin and without fault, in his last moment between two of the worst of the worst. Two robbers that were equal distance from him. And I think God was simply trying to say to us, man, for you out there that feel like, man, that, that comeback story, it's not for me. It might be for somebody else, but you don't understand how far, I'm, how far gone I am. I think what God is simply saying through this story, he's trying to tell us that you cannot get too far away from Jesus. You're never too far from a comeback. And the story goes on and, and Luke writes this and he says, it gets specific to the two criminals it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are, pun we are punished justly, for we are getting what our de deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, you want to talk about a comeback story. Man, this is like the comeback story of all comeback stories. This is the last second comeback story of all comeback stories. I mean, you simply look at these two guys, and we don't know if they had minutes left. We don't know if they had hours left, but they had the, the opportunity no matter how much time they had left to be in proximity with Jesus. And here's something you need to understand about their proximity or their closeness to Jesus. If you look at the crucifixion or the act of crucifixion, and it is the most brutal form of execution ever enacted throughout history. I mean, it was created to impose the most pain and exhaustion possible on the body. I don't know if you did what we did on fr uh, Friday night. We joined our Good Friday services and loved that. It was an awesome service. And then my family sat down and we watched The Passion of the Christ. It was interesting because I had seen it before a few times. And, and some of my family had, but, but my kids, we hadn't actually taken our kids to show that movie to them. Our, our younger guys were just a little too, too little. I mean, it is, it is a violent, violent movie. And what happens in that movie, if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to see it, but it, the first 10 minutes is kind of the setup of the story, but the last two hours of the movie is constant persecution. It is the story of Jesus beating and then his execution, and it is brutal. My boy looked at me and said, Dad, what is this rated? I'm like, son, it is rated R. And he's like, really? Because of the violence and the brutality and the blood, my wife made this comment. She said after the movie, she said, I don't think that'll be a, a movie we watch every Easter. You know, like Christmas, you watch It's a Wonderful Life, and it's Easter, man, that story is brutal. And the crucifixion was meant to be brutal. 
I'll give you one particular detail that's interesting that gives us some idea of proximity. The way a person would be hung on a cross with their arms stretched out and their, their wrists nailed to the cross, even where they would put the nails, would be into a nerve that would create incredible spasms down the arms and through the chest, cramps continually through that time period that they were crucified. And then they would nail the feet and the ankles to the cross. And what would happen over time is the exhaustion would set in and the pain on the wrist and the feet was so incredible that the body would begin to sag. And when the body sagged, it would create so much incredible pressure on the chest cavity and the diaphragm that the body could not take in air. You could, or could not exhale air. You could breathe in, but you could not push out. So what a person who was being crucified would have to do is put pressure on his arms and legs and pull up to exhale. And then they would go down and they would breathe in and it was a constant for hours upon hours on the cross of putting pressure and pulling up. You can't imagine the excruciating pain that it would cause. There was a moment on the cross where Jesus cried out. It says in a loud cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that was the only moment where it says he cried out in a loud voice. There are even other places in scripture that say because of the exhaustion, because of the torture, because of that reality of, of the inability to exhale, there was even a place in Matthew's gospel and others where it says that the people standing right in front of Jesus would hear him say things and they'd say, what does he say? Which makes us all the more understand the proximity of these two who were being crucified with Jesus. You see, they had to be close. Like the sheer exhaustion and the sheer difficulty of exhaling, man, you can understand that, that the difficulty of actually holding a conversation with two people next to you, see, those men were probably just a distance of about six feet away. Six feet's pretty interesting in our culture right now. I think our minds have forever been conditioned when we hear six feet to hear the idea of social distancing. I was in Costco the other day, and it's interesting how people react to the distance of six feet differently. I was walking through Costco, and some of you heard me tell this story, but I was walking down an aisle, and there wasn't very many people in Costco. It was a pretty actual uh, peaceful trip there. And, and so I'm walking through the, the store, and I get into one aisle, and there's one lady down the aisle. She's, she's about 40 feet in front of me, and I'm walking toward her, and I'm being respectful to keep my distance, to stay on this side of the aisle, to stay six feet away from the other side. She comes down, I get about 15 feet from her, and she goes up next to this, this, the uh, shelves. She sticks her head into the shelves and waits for me to pass by. I go around the corner, I come back, she's heading through an area, and there's a display, and she gets a little close to another guy. He's a huge guy, like 6'5", big old burly muscle guy, and she walks past him, and he gets too close to her, and she looks at him, and she says, get out of my space! And the guy flips out. I mean, expletives everywhere. He embarrasses his wife, his family, all of that. She's saying, stop. And you just see this woman who is angry that someone is in her space. Now I've walked through Costco. I've walked through grocery stores. I've been out in the community and walked through and, and been doing things. And it's interesting how some people react like she does. And other people actually, even though they are six feet away, they close the distance with a smile. They close the distance with a reaction. They close the distance with a connection. You see, we all react to this social distancing thing differently. And I think there's also a reality that we all react to the spiritual distancing thing a little differently too. I think it's providential that these two men were placed the same distance from Jesus. 
one on one side and one on the other, both of them just six feet away. They were the same distance from Jesus, but they both had different reactions. You got one man, the first robber, and he, he simply looks at Jesus. He sees the sign on top of Jesus' cross that says, Hail the King of the Jews. You know, Jesus has been the man who has gone around through the countryside. And he's taught, and there's been stories about him raising people from the dead and, and all of this. And he looks at his own situation, and he cries out, and he says, man, if you're the son of God, if you have the power to raise people from the dead, then why don't you get me out of my circumstance right now? You see, in that moment, all that guy saw was a letdown, not a comeback. You see, in that moment, that guy couldn't see past his circumstances, and I get it. Because if you're hanging there on that cross, I mean, it's like toward the end, right? He's experiencing incredible persecution, incredible pain, and he's looking around and seeing no way out, and he sees the one who is supposed to be the savior of the world, and he's saying, you can't do anything? I might have done the same thing. And I think there's a lot of us in this moment where our circumstances are difficult, where we feel we're down and out, and we are looking out, and we can't see our circum- past our circumstances, and all we see is a letdown not the possibility of a comeback. But I think the reality that we need to remember that our faith is never based in our circumstances. Our faith is never based in what's happening right now. Our faith is simply based in the fact of the resurrection. And before there was a resurrection, there was a death. Like there was difficulty, there was persecution, there was pain, but it led to You see, the letdown in that moment was actually leading to the greatest comeback of all time. And I think for you sitting there right now, whether you're feeling a letdown in relationships, whether you're feeling a letdown in your faith or your spirituality or your hope or your finances or you lost your job and you don't know what's coming next, I would simply say this, that this might be in this moment, you see it as a letdown, it might be the precursor to a comeback because you might be just a few feet away from what God wants to do for you because on the other side of Jesus, there was another man in the same predicament, in the same situation, nailed to the same kind of cross, experiencing the same pain, but he saw something different. I don't even know what it was. I, I don't know if it was him looking at these people that were mocking him and Jesus' response. You heard it in that first paragraph we read. He said, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Maybe he saw Jesus feed the 5,000. Maybe he saw Jesus raise Lazarus. We don't know what the story was, but in this moment, he looked past his circumstances and he saw the opportunity for a comeback. He didn't allow the distance to keep him away from Jesus. He simply reached out to Jesus and he said this. He said, Jesus, remember me. So Jesus, would you simply today remember me when you come into your kingdom? Would you remember me? And I think there's so many of us that look at that story and we're like, man, that's just too easy. Like it can't be that easy for a guy who's been a robber, a killer, a murderer, a whatever in his life. He can't get down to the very end of his life and just simply say, hey, could you remember me now? Man, all I'd say to that is this, is I didn't say it. (laughs) Jesus is the one who said it. And he looked at this man and he said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, the thief said, when? He said, when you come into my kingdom, it's kind of nebulous of like, when's that gonna happen? I, I know I'm coming to the end, but would you remember me sometime? And Jesus looked at him and he said, hey, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about next week, but you just remember that today, 
like this very moment is an opportunity for you to be with me in paradise. And why do we believe that? Because we stand on the other end of the greatest comeback story of all time and we know that Jesus died that day. And you go three days later and the thief didn't come back. Like he didn't re-show up in the scene and like, I'm back. But Jesus did. And he walked out of a tomb and because he walked out of a tomb, he looked at all of us and he said, peace I give to you. He says, because I have had a comeback, you can have a comeback in every single area of your life if you will simply do what the thief did and he will reach out to me. If you'll reach out and say, Jesus, would you remember me? And you may be saying it can't be that easy. Jesus simply says it is. I think that's the beauty of the resurrection story. That's the beauty of the Easter story. I was talking to a good friend and a mentor of mine this week and, and he was simply talking about this idea and he used this phrase. He said, man, some people think the gospel message is too good to be true. In reality, it's so good it has to be true. I think the greatest word in that story is simply the word today. Jesus looked back at this man and he said, today there's a chance for a comeback. Man, it looks like a letdown, but there is a chance in this moment for a comeback for you. A comeback for you if you realize it's simply that Jesus is not about trying to make you better as a person. In your life, you might be simply in a situation right now where you're looking at life and you're saying, man, I, don't, I just don't know if that comeback's available for me because I'm the worst of the worst. Bobby sent there and tells his story and he talks about Man, getting drunk and flipping that truck three times. He talks about doing drugs. He talks about all these different things. And his wife's saying, man, Bobby, I wish you'd be a better person. I wish you'd be a better dad. Man, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we figure this out? And Jesus didn't look at Bobby and say, Bobby, if you're a better person, I'm gonna take care of this for you. Bobby, Bobby he said, Bobby, if you will simply receive me, I'll take you from death to life today. Simply today. I wanna give you the opportunity today, no matter where you are in life, to receive Jesus and, and to receive and start your comeback story. And some of you may be sitting there and say, man, how, how's that happen? It's as simple as saying exactly what the thief said, to say, Jesus, remember me. Because remember the story, the gospel story is not about making bad people good, it's about making dead people live. And that was accomplished through the resurrection. So Jesus said, if you will simply call on my name in faith, you can receive me. We simply made it easy for you today that there's a button on your website today that you can simply choose or there's a link in the comments if you're on Facebook Live or social media that simply says, I'm saying yes, because it is as simple as saying yes to Jesus. I would encourage you right now that if you are feeling like you're down and out and you need a comeback, if you don't know if your life is set beyond this life with Jesus, I would simply encourage you to pray a prayer with me that says, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is. God, I believe he did rise from the dead. And God, I believe that he can save me from my sins. And if you will just simply say to him right now, Jesus, I believe in you. Will you remember me and will you forgive me? Jesus says, when you place your faith in me, your sins can be forgiven. Now, the interesting thing about the gospel story is simply this. That the gospel story gets, gets really particular about it and it says, man, we receive Jesus by our faith. But again, the gospel says that the story is about making dead people live. And Jesus died, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. 
And the gospel talks about people who want to follow Jesus. They place their faith in him. They ask him to come into their life and be the leader of their life. But then they participate in his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you push that button today, it'll say, I, want to, I am saying yes to Jesus to place my faith in him. And then it'll say, I want to place my faith in Jesus and be baptized. You see, the picture of death to life for a believer in Jesus Christ was the picture of baptism. You saw two baptisms today. You also saw Bobby in his video get, get baptized. And it is the picture, the Bible says, of a person standing there, like Jesus, standing there, then being buried into a watery grave, and then being raised to a new life. And it says that resurrection, or baptism, is the picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection being applied to you. And all you simply have to do today is to say yes to believing him, and then to say, yes, I want to be baptized. And here's the deal, circumstances may keep you from being baptized today, but circumstances don't keep you from scheduling it for your comeback day. I would encourage you to push that button and say, I'm saying yes, to pray that prayer, and then schedule your baptism, and then ask one of us to get a hold of you, and we will contact you, and we will help you make that decision, schedule your baptism, experience Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection so you can start your comeback story today. Here's the interesting thing about the passage. It all comes down to the very end, and it says, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise was a simple idea of, of the dwelling place for God's people. It's actually in the Greek language, it was the idea of a garden, of a beautiful place for God's people to gather and to worship him, and kind of Garden of Eden style, think that. It's ironic because where Jesus was crucified, where he actually said this, the, the place of Golgotha, which means the skull, which was not a place of paradise. That place was actually in history. Archaeologists say this and historians say this. It was a garbage dump. It was a landfill. And the worst kind of landfill possible because what would happen is they would take people out to crucify them and, and they would crucify them and if there was no one to take the body, what the Roman soldiers would do is they'd peel the body off the crosses and they would take it and they would just throw it to the side throw it on the heaps of the trash and they would leave it there for the wild animals and the dogs to come and eat the flesh off the bodies. This place was the worst kind of garbage dump possible. If you've ever been in a landfill, you know what I'm talking about. The stench, the flies, the mounds of trash and you look around at your life right now and it's easy for you to say, man, my life feels like that right now. For some of you, it's addiction. Some of you, it's failure. Some of you, it's relationships that are broken. Some of you, it's faith. You're just struggling to believe. Some of you, it's circumstances that have just dealt you a difficult hand. And what happened in that moment ought to give us hope because in that moment where Jesus looked at that faith or that, that thief, he looked at that man and that day paradise connected with a garbage dump. And it gave one man freedom. And to you today, man, I think we can have hope because of the resurrection that the Easter story is the greatest comeback story of all time and it tells us that no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how uncertain your future is, there is always a comeback if you will simply say yes to Jesus. And here's the thing, and I don't even think some of you realize how hard that God's fighting for you. For some reason, that thief did. He was only six feet away from Jesus and one thief didn't choose Jesus, but the other saw that he was fighting for him and he placed his faith in Jesus and said, will you remember me? And I... I've just been struck this week with a song. It's a song by Andy Grammer, and it's, it's called Don't Give Up On Me. 
It's a love song. It was with the, the movie Five Feet Apart. And it's an interesting song. I, it's not a worship song, but it's a love song that I think captures the idea of what Jesus feels like for you. There are words in this song that says, with my last breath, it says, I won't, I won't give, out to, give up on you. I'm reaching out to you. Don't give up on me. Ask our worship team if they just simply sing this song. And I want to encourage you that during this moment, man, you remember that God never gives up on you. And the cross is the picture to remind us that there is a comeback story available for you no matter how far you've gone from God. Man, you listen to this story, and I hope you'll say yes to Jesus today.